Hello and welcome to Real Professional, the podcast where real professionals have really professional conversations. I'm DreadXP Tour, Jan Solstrom, joined today, as always, by DreadXP Head of Productions, Ted Hinchke. Say hi, Ted. Hello, everyone. Also joined by DreadXP Production Assistant, Abby Smith, a.k.a. Scruncho. Say hi, Abby. Hello. And our guest today is the incomparable Bloody Disgusting Games editor, Neil Bolt. Say hi, Neil. Howdy. Uh, I think it's going to be a really good day today, so DJ, drop that sick beat. So, uh, you guys ready for your gamer safety update for the week? Yes. Uh, I don't know if I'm ever ready for them, but I think that they're always necessary. So. Absolutely. Like yeah, like a dentist appointment, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Spot on. Let's go for it. So, lately, I've been watching uh, a lot of rage videos on YouTube. I got into that weird YouTube hole where you start watching people rage out at video games. Uh, I know that we're all... I so I, was going to, I thought you were specifically talking about the video game Rage. Then it's like that's a very niche hole to fall down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was just I was wishing the sequel was better. Yeah, no, everyone was. <laughs> but uh, I was watching some uh, some Super Smash Brothers players raging out, and a lot of them would throw the controller, and I realized that those things bounce. So today's gamer safety update is: please don't throw your controller; they can bounce, and they might take somebody out. <laughs> yeah, I uh I remember um one time I was at like a sleepover. This is the N64 era, uh and a guy was playing like NFL Blitz and uh he threw the controller and then it bounced and like wrapped around his ankle and then ricocheted up into his balls. That was a pretty pretty savage self-own. Yikes. You don't you just don't come back from that. Yeah. It's true, and especially with those N64 controllers, like I'm not sure where the worst part to be hit in the balls by an N64 controller would be, but there's several terrible places. Uh, maybe you could test it, Ted, and uh, get back to us next week. I'm thinking mm-hmm. that the very tip of the middle is probably like what people would think is the worst, mm-hmm. but I'm thinking that it's actually probably worse to get caught between the middle and the left side, you know, like in the, in the, in the handle groove. That would probably be the worst. It would, especially if like it lodged because of the at lower analog stick you know just it's just there yeah <laughs> well actually that uh that point uh the longest point of the controller is known um to smash brothers players as the kill zone <laughs> oh my god they just hold it like a wolverine style mm-hmm. I, I haven't played the original smash in Forever. Are you talking about like uh, uh, the GameCube Smash or or the N sixty four? I think you said GameCube at the beginning of this, right? Do I, am I just uh, a bad listener? No, just Smash in general. I've seen people smash, um, break their N sixty four controllers, GameCube controllers. GameCube controllers are a bunch of weird curves, so that thing could bounce anywhere. It's mm-hmm. an unpredictable shape. <laughs> it's a very unpredictable shape. Yeah, I mean, you could take someone out accidentally, maybe even kill them. Um, you know. 
and that might be that might be a way to get rid of someone and say, "Oh man, it was an accident." You just chuck a controller and hope it hits. I guess. <laughs> I think Nintendo designed their controllers for violence. To be fair, because I, I remember having an all-out brawl after a game of GoldenEye because someone hit someone with the side of the controller as they t- cheered, winning the round. And yeah, it just turned into a very big fight. But um, then I think back to the you know, after the Wii. You know, there was all the incidents of it. People just lassoing people in the face. Uh, <laughs> like and even the Switch, just to the very, you know, the, again bringing back that haunting thing of the Wii again with having the handles and just flinging them at people without even realizing it. It's just yeah, it, for a family-friendly company, you know, they got a very dark side. I think when it comes to their controller design. Yeah, screw fist weapons. All you need is a Nintendo controller, and you're That's good. It, yeah, I'm like Batman 64 controller in one hand, you know, swinging a <laughs> on the other. You're ready for battle. Yeah, yeah exactly. If you, you had a game of GoldenEye turn into a fist fight, are you from Glasgow? <laughs> that was a joke because Glasgow is shit. <laughs> oh my god. It's a, there's a joke that like uh, so Rockstar like for Grand Theft Auto the first Grand Theft Auto the their office was in Glasgow and the joke is like that they didn't actually make a game they just like looked out their window and just made stuff based on what was going on in the streets of Glasgow that day. <laughs> I, I it's in north. Oh, deny. <laughs> it's in northern England, and, and if you want a, a, a relation, northern England is kind of like our south. Yeah, as, as, as in terms of like um, the poverty divide, in terms of political nature yeah it pretty much is yeah. yeah and in terms of also like how fatty and fried the food gets for sure although all the bad politics still comes from the south to be fair you know country so it's like you know it's all run by that side of it so yeah, <laughs> fair it's, enough it's not entirely the same yeah unfortunately, you're, you're assuming that there's good politics there's better ideals behind politics at least so <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah, there's there's prettier words behind what they're saying. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> they can at least smile at you while they murder you in your sleep. <laughs> <laughs> They'll hold your hand. They're the ones that actually want. See, the two sides of it are like the people that are uh, from you know the good the good side are the ones that will give you your pill and 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 then like you know have the nice pictures playing like clock, uh, not a uh, in a uh, Soylent Green style. You know when he's going into the suicide booth and it's like you know the nice pretty picture and then the other side is like the people in the dump trucks just picking up the dead bodies to be processed <laughs> has anyone else seen something green am i the only one am i the only elderly yeah, it's been here? a long time but i have seen it yeah you you are the elderly person here though ted yeah uh, quite how much ted how much how old? yeah how old uh i am 31 you're not about the old, turn 32 no i'm the old man here oh jeez well welcome old man that's it. I'm, <laughs> I'm away from forty at this point. So. Oh, geez! Wow, I didn't realize you. That, I thought you were like in your twenties. What Eight Ted's things. trying to say is, Neil, I didn't know you were so damn old. Just oh, say Jesus. it, Ted. Gross. Just say it. Gross. 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 Yeah. I mean, we don't like old people on here. Yeah, we're never <laughs> going to be a successful podcast if we have these old, elderly guests on. <laughs> but, yeah, in this industry, I might as well be dead at this point, or you know. It should be digging me up at this point as some sort of archaeological find, but yeah, you know, I, I, I made it late. I made it late in this in this industry. So, what's a Roblox? What's a Roblox? See, I know because I have kids. So, it's, oh, you have kids? Yeah, oh, yeah, wow. well, yeah, big, 
being as old as I am, I should have grandkids by now, surely, you know. Uh, <laughs> I was thinking great grandkids, but you any, know. any day now, you never know. <laughs> to uh to touch on the on the Nintendo choosing violence uh that we were talking about that's why the Wii U didn't sell as well and wasn't as well received because its potential for violence yeah. was too low. Yeah, it's like a one uh, and done. Yeah. It's a one and done thing, isn't it? If you hit someone over the head with that, you know, screen thing like you know, like a chair in WWE, that's it. It's broken and that's it. You can't reuse it again. Mm-hmm. So yeah, at least with the other things, they're really sturdy and they've got yeah, they'll survive more likely than the person you hit them with. Yeah, like uh, the original yeah, Wii, that thing was weirdly sturdy. My parents had one because the Wii was like the the console that your parents had. Um, yeah, yep. And I mean that thing the the controllers got thrown around, knocked off of walls. The console got kicked over a few times and it just kept on chugging. What finally took it out was a lightning strike during a really bad storm fried their, uh, surround sound, their Blu-ray player and their Wii. Oh uh, no. I think I had that happen with my PS3. I think it, it fell off high shelf about three or four times. Cause I had this really tiny room, a really shitty shelf at the time I had it. And it wasn't until like there was a storm and the power blew on it that it actually finally killed it dead. It was like, but before that, nothing would touch it. It just got knocked about like any business. The original PS3 was an underrated heavyweight in that regard. You just kick it around like a football and put a game in, still functioning. That's it. No, I think you'd probably break your toes. I think if you tried. Do you guys remember back when the Wii first came out and it like it kind of simmered down? A little bit but then like there was this big thing where people were like throwing their wii remotes through their tvs and it was this big big like crazy thing because all these kids were ruining these frat, uh, flat screen tvs yeah back when the the the, the big scare was the wrist straps <laughs> and put the yeah. wrist strap on and then people were talking about how there was like a i remember there was like a wrist strap shortage or something like that wasn't there i don't yeah. remember no. this happening it, i don't know if it was a wrist strap shortage or it was like the 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 you remember you could get the condom that you could put your Wii, K, your Wii remote in? It was like the, 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 the big plasticky one. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think, those. I think the thing was is that people just weren't wearing the wrist straps. And then they were suffering the consequences for it when they yeah. just threw it like a Frisbee through their TV and, and broke it. Or they do the half-assing of like, they put it on, but they don't fasten it. Like it also says, says like, well, I did the bare minimum, and it still happened. It's not. Bad. Yeah, I don't understand. Like, I didn't, I didn't tighten the strap around my wrist, but like the remote still went through the TV. I'm a little confused. But yeah, remember they used to get like really fancy like rubber cases, like Ted was just talking about for for gripping and stuff. It, it got really got really in depth at at, at a certain point. Mm-hmm. Then I think Sony sort of thought when they were doing the move style ones, they were like. I don't know, we'll just put the diaphragm on top of it, and that's it. And then you don't need the condom. It's fine. You just go fling at the screen as much as you like. <laughs> Remember the uh, the original PlayStation 3 concept controller that looked like a Batarang? That would have been some good violence. Mm. Oh, man. <laughs> I wonder if oh, it wasn't that the... I think the... Okay. There was the PlayStation 3 controller design, but then wasn't there also the original... Wii controller design back when it was like the Dolphin or something like that was like also a weird boomerang thing or am I incorrect? Yeah, it was something closer to like a weird N64 style hybrid, wasn't it? Yeah, this is this is deep lore. Yeah, they're real nerds. (laughs) 
think if if you you could put it in your head, it would look like one of those sort of uh, high fantasy crowns. You know, there's like a really big point in the middle sort of thing. But it's yeah, it it was a gaudy looking thing. Yeah, this is how we make sure that like the cool people don't come to our parties. Is like we at the door be like, "Do you remember the the original Wii Remote?" And they're like, "Yeah, it was like looked like this." We're like, "You can't come in. This is you're too nerdy for this group." Is it's all a trap? No, I mean it's like that's like that's like yeah. Go ahead. I was gonna say we have a uh, a clipboard with one question on it. Just says, "Do you remember what a wave bird is?" <laughs> uh, oh yeah. Anyways, what was the agenda for today? Didn't we have things to talk about? The agenda is uh, we can talk about my my simmering one-sided rivalry with Neil Bolt, video games editor from Bloody Disgusting. It's a rivalry he doesn't know about. Oh, uh, oh, oh boy. All the, the more exciting. So whenever I first started working for DreadXP and I was like, I'm a video games journalist, I, uh, I knew of Neil. Uh, I followed him on Twitter he followed me on Twitter, and it was like, this is the guy, like, he does news for Bloody Disgusting, and I got a lot of love for Bloody Disgusting. And uh, I was like, I want to be like him, but I also have to viciously beat him in the arena of video games journalism. Uh, and I was like, but I don't know how to do that because I'm I'm not a news writer, uh, so I'm not going to, like, beat him to any scoops or anything. Uh, but I think I actually did beat you to one scoop, and I was like, oh, it's over now, I win. I just decided in my head that I won, and I think it was uh, whenever Konami announced that they were going to be working with Bloober Team. I got that news at like 2 in the morning, and I wrote up a news piece, and I was like, that's, that's it, I win video games journalism. I just decided it was I, over. I, I, I actually think I remember seeing it as well. <laughs> it came, wow, they got quick. <laughs> and meanwhile, Neil's just going to bed, like, happy and comfortable, like, unaware that there's someone just sitting sweaty at their computer waiting for the next big thing. So the hours don't suit me, you know, being in UK time, everything's sort of geared towards the US in that regard. So then you get these weird late night drops, you like, you look at Twitter the next day and see this thing trending, like, fuck happened? Like that. And then you just, like, <laughs> what uh, happened? There's some casual big news just dropped while you're out. Uh, uh, cool, great. It's like, <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, I take a very casual approach to it all, to be honest, compared to like the cutthroat world of, you know, general games gaming journalism where it's like you know if you haven't done it in two minutes you might as well have not bothered sort of thing but it's yeah you know, it's still fun to sort of get up there and have something do well like that yeah i agree yeah it was uh it, whenever i started i looked at a bunch of video game journalists that i followed or that followed me on twitter and i was like i want to do like what they do i was like but i want to be better than them you know that that idea that everybody has that whenever you start doing something you have to be the best at it yeah yeah, you're, you're going to do it differently. This is it. It's, that's the dream. Yeah, so I just have a list of names, you know, of people to to scoop. No, I don't. Um, I don't know. It's just one of those things. You look up to these people that are doing what you want to do, and yeah, like you were saying, you're like, I want to do it better. But really, what you end up doing is writing about Konami and Bloober Team at 2 in the morning. Just no <laughs> sleep. Just tired, like Ted's messaging you. He's like, oh, the Bloober Team and Konami. I used to roll out of bed to like try to get scoops when they happened. And this is like, you know, back when I was doing the journalism shit, you know, it was like, yeah. God, I did that for seven, seven, eight years. And uh, I, I remember the, the, the grind of like, you know, gotta be the first or not even necessarily. You don't necessarily have to be the first, but you definitely have to be within the first 
you know, 12 to 24 hours of it. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you want to get optimal on it, you, you kind of have to be there in that first little pocket and then have a good enough headline that's like sort of grabs people in a way that the others don't, if you're mm-hmm. lucky. And yet that sort of thing, personally, kind of bored me you know, when, when I was doing that. Uh, you know, a general gaming site because it was like I was quite content to just plod along doing reviews and writing stupid articles, and that was great. Uh, that's that's the dream. And it's like now I just let everyone else do that stuff and occasionally pitch in, so which is perfect for me. Yeah, yeah, and then also like the the headline image is 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 really important. Trying to to get one that grabs. I don't know. Like, probably the person that I think does the best headline images is the uh, October uh, uh, October Keegan from. Uh, rely on horror. Yeah, so good. Their, yeah, their headline game is on on fucking point. Yeah, I love it. When some of the stuff that they come up with is just magnificent. And just like, there is someone you like. I didn't even care if they were last festival or whatever. You, you kind of wish you'd thought of this, this, and this. But for the image and stuff. Oh yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Uh, that's always super. <laughs> I, I always <laughs> love looking at their stuff. They uh, did um, a, a comic for. Uh, me in the second Dreadx collection, their their art, and I, I'm I'm just a big fan. Yeah, they did, didn't they? I was remembering. Yeah. Oh, they were the people that did that. Oh yeah, you voice acted that. I yeah, forgot. Yeah, I I'm making a connection now. There you go. Yeah, you were Very the model cool. for that character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, although Abby is taller in real life than that character was in the book. Well, yeah, because you know the boxes they put you know, images in are really small. So also, Abby is like six one. Yeah, well, Ted Ted tr- likes to treat me like the Iron Giant. It's it's easy to feel. I'm like five ten on a good day, and uh, <laughs> and and so you know when when you're hanging out with like when we go to conventions and stuff, and Abby's like you know like in like heels or something, and she's like six six. I'm like, oh, this okay, cool. <laughs> she's easy to see though. It's not hard to find her in a crowd. Lizzie, that's true. Yon, Yon's over here is like a natural six nine, though. I am, I am six six, uh, naturally without heels. I'm six nine with heels. You were a large Oklahoma man, just like I, an Oklahoma elementary. Yon's, I didn't know you were so tall. Yeah, I'm, I'm six foot six inches tall. Like I, I dread going to a convention with Ted because he'll know where I'm at at all times. Because I also <laughs> yeah, have you, like, you can't. <laughs> I also have like the big beard and like the long hair, so I I look like a kiwi on a really long stick walking around. Just he just <laughs> a hairy head bobbing through the crowd, and he knows who to yell at. It's like like one of the tree ants in Lord of the Rings. Just yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know what's exactly. sad about that, Jans, is that you can't even like sneak off into the snack bar. You gotta, you gotta like maybe get on your hands and knees and, and crawl between people just to go grab a quick hot dog before Ted turns around and and, and sees that you're gone. You're at the game stations and you're like on your knees and you're like, this is so my boss can't see me. <laughs> yeah, people just think you're a freak or like looking up people's skirts or something when in reality, like you're just trying to hide from Ted. <laughs> the the mirrors on my shoes also help me hide from Ted. The. <laughs> 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 uh, good times. So uh, I'm, I'm hoping conventions happen again, though. How are conventions over and uh, across the pond at the moment? Pretty much the same. So like we had a couple recently, um, the EGX sort of stuff that comes over here, which is 
mainly indie stuff though because a lot of the big companies did come this year uh, naturally but yeah it, it was still nice for people to go and do that i, I couldn't go this year unfortunately because just everything uh, was a bit chaotic but yeah it is nice to see is actually getting there bit by bit and hopefully next year i can go do a few more things i was getting into that rhythm of things of actually going to press events again that uh, were bloody disgusting just in 2019 and of course that just got killed stone dead by everything else so after that so it's been, like the last week it's been like here's something in san francisco and it's like and here's another one in san francisco and i'm like i could have gone to those things and it's like <laughs> in an ideal world yeah it's nice. yeah it's funny because um you know with like uh i was doing like the pack circuit and it was like Okay, so I went to PAX East. Yeah. And, you know, I was like, cool. So then oh, people were starting to talk about this COVID thing, and some people were taking it seriously there, and most people weren't. And I was like, okay. And, you know, and then all of a sudden, like two weeks later, the whole world shut down. And it was <laughs> a lot to adjust to very quickly. Yeah, I was in, uh, so I was going to say, I was like in, I think the week before it all shut down, I went to my brother was doing like an amateur boxing match. I went to that and it you can imagine the crowd for that sort of thing is not especially uh careful about hygiene and so yeah it's kind of a bit of a nervy one and sort of knowing like you're in this big old room full of people you know i don't know if i should be taking covid seriously yet but you know at the same time this is probably the worst place to be somehow nothing <laughs> somehow nothing came out of that but it was a it was a petri dish of uh that kind of thing, I'd say. If it was ever going to happen, that would have been the time. So what do you think that is going to happen with the world of, of conventions now? Like, do you think that people are eager to get back to them? Like, because PAX South just got canceled eternally, right? Hmm. And certain conventions are talking about, you know, maybe they will reopen in person, maybe they won't. I, I'm going to, I got a pass to Comic-Con special edition. I don't even know if I'm going to go, because I don't know if they've actually booked any, like, talent for it or anything, or any press yeah. events. Um but it's happening in person this year. And, you know, it's like, but everyone's still very wary about COVID. And, you know, now there's all these online options. What do you, what do you, you know, your personal read on it? What do you, what do you think is the going to be the future of those conventions? I think we're going to see more of a balancing out of the, the current thing, where they'll go somewhere back to in between. You know, I think you're getting a lot more, especially for the bigger games now, you're going back to just having these, more intimate press events rather than having them shown on the big stage of thousands of people walking around and stuff like any three years and stuff. But yeah, I think especially for smaller companies, it's going to benefit them to be able to do these, you know, video based things and like, you know, things that are remote because that's easy access for a lot of people. We're a very international sort of crowd now in terms of journalism. You can be working from, anywhere uh, myself included here you know i'm the only englishman on a staff full of people from america so it's I, i'm very much so like you know you get these opportunities and they go oh, well i can't go to this i can't go to that back in the day now it's like you know i could just go to something over the internet and that's great i can just do that and i i like that option and i'm sure there are many people like that who find travel to be a bit bore or a bit expensive, especially in this country where like trains are just insane price-wise. It, it's nice to know that you can just sort of not have to travel up to London, just go and see, you know, 
an average game at best. You know, it's nice for the experience and maybe to see some people, but it's stuff you could probably do in twenty minutes otherwise, and it sorts your day out. Brilliant. Yeah. I always enjoy the in-person events, though, like especially the bigger conventions, but like even the smaller press events, like I always kind of um, dug being able to shake hands with the developers or yeah. you know you know do all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think you know in most cases you get two, maybe three opportunities to to have that sort of thing. I think you don't have to have them in person for everything. So I think some games, you know, you do kind of need that in-person touch to sort of communicate what your game's about. I think it's shown over the last 18 months or so that it's been very difficult for some developers to really get a handle on what their game is over the internet. You know, it it needs to be seen or played, you know, and in most cases you can't do that if it's like an early build or something and they don't, you know, they can't really give you hands on for you know, myriad reasons. Well, let's be honest here. If you're, if you're going to have a precedent, and you're going to fly a journalist out, and you're going to feed them, and you're probably going to pump booze into them before they play the game. Chances are you're going to get a glowing review of whatever the fuck your product is on whatever website, you know? But it helps. It, it certainly helps, for sure. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I'm saying, like, you know, the, there's a reason that there's the... the you know, I've, I've, I've flown up for a fair few events, you know, and it's, I don't want to call out any company in particular because I usually do like the things I'm going to. Mm. Um, but there's definitely a tactic to it. And it's, yeah. you know, the, you, you butter up the press and you're going to get an article. Even if it's not a positive review, you're going to get, like, a positive pre-screening article, you know? Yeah. It's a thing. Yeah. yeah. I definitely and, like in-person conventions, you know? I, I feel like there's there's just, like, some sort of, like, magic to it that you can't really capture online. And especially because uh, Ted and I were just at PAX uh, West and... From a publisher point of view, it does pay to see like indie like indie games and see what people are excited about at that particular convention yeah. for yeah. like future publishing opportunities. So it does you, you don't really get to see that online. I mean you can see you can see people in like chat forms that are like, oh this looks cool, but that also takes two seconds, you know, yeah. on on in a virtual environment. But something that you were talking about, you know, being in another country and whatnot, Neil, uh, that I thought was interesting is that I wonder if conventions will be kind of on pause until people feel more comfortable with international traveling. Because a lot of people, like, even just thinking about uh, conventions like GDC, a lot of people come from out of country into, you know, into Cali to, to go to this convention. So I wonder if a lot of big conventions will just stay online until people feel more comfortable with international travel. Yeah, I think, again, I think we'll probably end up with that sort of best of both worlds in terms of the biggest, where they'll try and accommodate everyone as much as they can. Mm -hmm. The further removed we get from all this, the more likely that is to that those sort of companies are going to go, man, we can forget about that now. We'll go back to what we were doing before and and it'll be fine. I suppose it depends on the optics of it and how they feel about it now, you know, and what it does for them. If they see it's helped them in any way, they might be encouraged by that and will carry on. But yeah, I'd hope so. Like I said, I think in the case of smaller developers and publishers, it makes a lot of sense. I know, you know, I think it's um, 
there's a few you know over the, the summer that were like go oh we would have had you flown out to this or flown out to that if we could have if we'd done this but you know we can't so you know they're upfront about like this is what we wanted to do but we have to do it like this so they're clearly wanting to go back to what they were doing before and like you're saying it, it makes perfect sense because there is a side to it that you need to have i think sometimes that where people are interacting and you get to ask actual questions of the developers that aren't in that sort of round table online environment where you kind of think, well, do I bother asking a question or not really? Cause it's like, yeah, it, it's not you know, really going to be the answer I want in the same way. It, you know, it's different having that face-to-face conversation or being in a small group instead of like 30, 30 or people on an online call. Yeah. I think that um, really like for me, I'm excited for conventions to start back up again so that basically the bigger games will now go back to having like their space. Cause here's the thing mm-hmm. about like something like E3, right? Like E3 is dominated by like the Sony's, the Bandai Namco's, et cetera. There's not a lot of indie presence there. And you usually have like the indie spaces being like packs or, you know, online kind of uh, showcase things like that but right now, because there's really no way to market the game outside of, uh, like you know those the, the smaller kind of more niche showcases now. Yeah. It's like you know it's a very 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 crowded market at the moment, and it's really hard to be an indie right now. I mean, we do okay at Dread XP mm-hmm. with our publishing stuff, but it's it's a really 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 saturated market at the moment. It's really hard to kind of break through and get noticed. Yeah, I mean that's you know symptom of just online in general. You know, there's there is just. There's more and more and more of everything to see. And it's like you, you can only sort of, the average person's only going to hold attention to that for a very short period of time. And so you really need to hit them right where they it resonates with them if you're going to have any chance for a lot of people. And that's why, you know, building up a community around your projects really helps and it's really a good thing to have because then you've got more chance of at least they're having a foothold. And then beyond that, they might spread the word a bit beyond it. Yeah. I mean like, but every, uh, you hit on something interesting there, which is so, you know, like everything is, you know, very flash in the pan right now. And it's, it's interesting because, you know, you look at these games, like, you know, something like predator hunting grounds, right. Which, uh, you you know, given something you look at dead by daylight, you know, that had a pretty long shelf life. Look at Friday 13th that had a pretty long shelf life. And then predator hunting grounds comes out. And I don't know, does anyone still play Hunting Grounds? I mean, I bought it, played it for five minutes. I then forgot I had it until you just mentioned it. <laughs> or, uh, you know, Aliens Fireteam. Jan's over here and I, we played with Rosie, another person in our, in our employee. That, um, and we really liked it. We thought Aliens Fireteam was, was great. And, you know, you look at the player base for that and it came out and everyone was playing it. And it got, you know, pretty good reviews and sold pretty well. And then a week later, no one's playing it. You know, yeah, I think this was the thing going into this next. You know, I think back at E3 when you were seeing like you had this, you had Back for Blood, you had the Evil Dead game, things like that. All these games like that coming out the same kind of games, and it's like one of them's going to suffer. You know, like that one of them's going to be getting a kicking. And you know, for a while, everyone thought it'd be Back for Blood, but you know they're backed by Warner, so that was far less likely in in the grand scheme of things because you know. Alien Spire team is made by a small studio. Yeah, they've done quite well with what, what they've got and yeah. made a really fun alien game, alien game out of it. You know, no, obviously it has to follow 
isolation in terms of being an alien game, but it's so different that it doesn't matter in a lot of ways. But yeah, it was an issue I think I brought up before that it it seemed like because of the size of the studio, they they couldn't really lay out their plan for the future properly very quickly. And again, that's that attention span thing. It's like with a game like that, if you aren't pumping out stuff at a certain rate, people are just going to just drop off. And unfortunately, that seems to have happened with, with that. And again, it could have a shelf life in future. You know, there's always a chance with these games that it can drop off after its initial launch and then come back by you know adding something that's really inventive or fun and but yeah and i think the price point probably helped at the beginning and sort of selling well but it'll probably end up being one of those that needs to be on a service or be given away to sort of have another shot yeah i think that um well it's it's it's, it is i think i honestly just think that right now with it's like because people have been stuck inside for so long and there are so many options that people like, you know, it used to be that, you know, you would jump from you, you'd have one game that you play and you would go to work and then you come home and you only have so many hours. So like yeah. the amount of time that you had for discoverability was, was far slow, far lower. But now it's like, you know, when a lot of people are working from home, they have so much time to just sit there and discover new things, you know? Yeah. It's almost to the point where it's a problem because you just, get that that sort of a streaming problem where you're just scrolling through things for ages and ages thinking i could play that i could play that i could play that and then an hour has passed you know i didn't play anything it's like uh, so you end up going back to old dependable Mm -hmm. that's that's absolutely how i am i like (laughs) have all these games to play and uh i don't end up playing them sometimes because i spend so much time just deciding what i want to play and and it's also, it kind of reminds me how when, it, when you're a kid, you, you were so excited to get candy because you couldn't go out and just buy candy on your own. You had to, you had to depend on some sort of individual to get candy. And then by the time you're an adult or you get a job and you have the, the option to actually go, go and buy as much candy as you want, it just doesn't seem as exciting anymore. Yeah. And so you're just, you just kind of get depressed about it. And I kind of <laughs> feel like I'm in that stage where... Like, I can get any game that I want, and, you know, I don't specifically, like, have a time that I, I, like, I don't have to plan when to play it like I did when I was a kid. You know, like, when you you go to school, you have your after-school activities and whatnot, but, like, especially with the work that we do, you know, as long as you get your work done, you can literally work whenever you want kind of thing, um, within certain boundaries, of course, but... You know, it's just like you have the freedom to play what you want when you want and get whatever you want when you want. Um, And so it does kind of add this complicated layer of what do I really want to play at this point, especially with all the options out there, like you guys are saying. The paradox of choice is real. Uh, Mm -hmm. I I wrote a piece a while back about this called uh, How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love My Backlog. Because um, whenever I was a kid, and I've, I've written about this before, I was dirt poor, and I had a, a used Super Nintendo. I'm now dating myself uh, by admitting that I owned a Super <laughs> Nintendo. But I had a used Super Nintendo, and I had a, a pawn shop copy of Mortal Kombat 2. And there was no, you know, what am I going to play out of my list? I think my Steam library is coming up on 1500 games there was no you know i gotta pick one of these 1500 games it was you're gonna play mortal kombat 2 and that's the choice like that's it Mm -hmm. um and sometimes circumstances you know 
you have one thing to play and it I probably put a thousand hours into that. I can't imagine putting a thousand hours into a game now. But the paradox of choice is no. real. If I wasn't reviewing games on a like very regular basis, I don't think I'd play nearly as much as I used to. But actually reviewing games has given like my love of games a second life because I'm playing stuff I would have never thought to play before. Getting really into like point and clicks and stuff. It's weird. But yeah, yeah I, I think that's yeah. I was gonna say it just changes your taste. I think when you have that sort of realization of reviewing games, so especially if you're open about what you review, you can be just like, oh yeah, I'll try this, try that, try that. And you know, I used to make a point of reviewing god awful things because I thought it was fun and interesting to sort of <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, reset you know, the palette a bit and not just review because the re- reason you get that complaint about oh all these games are seven out of ten, blah blah blah, they should you know. That's the, the bar, that's the line. So, because no one's going to willingly go and play a game for review, unless, you know, especially paid, um, that's shit. You know, the, the company aren't going to say, no, you review this shit game. They're going to say, no, we're better off spending our money elsewhere, sort of thing. You know, and yeah, back then when I just did it as a hobby, it was just like, yeah, sure, just throw whatever. Throw it all at me. Throw me Afro Samurai 2. Throw me. Um, Escape Dead Island. For me, God knows what else it was. It was oh, just, God, Escape Dead Island. I mean, that came out, and I thought, this is probably the worst game I've ever reviewed. And then I think I think four or five more came out in the next two years, or definitely worse. <laughs> it was like, that was like, oh, yeah, that, that was like, well, Dead Island was like this strange disappointment. Now we have this thing that's a spin-off that's worse somehow, and that's great. And it was, but you know, after a summer, volume two, I think it was just, funny because it was like the first episode and it was bad enough that we never saw another one and that was it and i remember talking to the developers and they were clearly people who'd just been given the license and didn't know what to do with it and just said so it was like there's this thing and they were like yeah we know it's shit and that's it never saw it again i i think (laughs) that like as video game journalists I think we need to get away from the number scale. And I know a lot of places have. Um, when reviewing for Dread XP, it's, there is no you know number score attached to it. It's kind of just a feeling thing. You just feel it out. Yeah. If you've ever read any of my reviews, which I, I assume you have because I'm very accomplished, um, I just kind yeah, of... You're very good and very talented. I'm very mm-hmm. good and very talented. Uh, I'm on the Fortune 500 list of uh, top 1 billion video game reviewers. Right there at the bottom, number 1 billion. Out here killing <laughs> it. But um, a number score, people are so dismissive of like a 7 out of 10. You know, you can scroll to the bottom of the yeah. review and you go, okay, it's 7.5 out of 10. That's average. And it's it's not really average. Um, no. I think if we got away from that numbering system, people would actually be forced to read about the game. Because uh, I, I was yeah. guilty of it, too, where you just scroll down and look at the score and go, ah, in my brain, I know that 7 out of 10 is average. I don't need to know anything else. They've given a number to it. I don't have to read about the mechanics or the story or anything else. There's a 7 there. Yeah, and I remember this back years ago in, in the magazine era where it was like, stuff would be getting like 97 98 99 it was like it just you know, when they did percentages and stuff it was like that seems insane going back i think 
one of the funniest things to me when you look on Metacritic is like the Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2 is like up there ahead of everything. You know, it's like, that's brilliant. It's like, it's not even the best Tony Hawk's game, but it's there because back then it was a case of like, yeah, just black, you know, smack a high score on it. Yeah. No problem. No backlash. It's magazines. Doesn't matter. It's you know, unfortunately lost a bit of that, but yeah, it, that sort of thing did sort of destroy it. I think we've, come down in terms of overall review scores and there is a bit more criticism but of course as you said it it makes it a bit odd because people still have this mindset of what a score means and should mean to them because that's the way it used to be we haven't quite caught up there yet and it's either get away with the scores entirely or you know just wait for people to stop being giant babies when you give days gone three out of five you know it's not necessary I've played Days Gone, and it is a very 3 out of 5 game. I completed it 100%ed it, got the secret ending. Days Gone's a very 3 out of 5 game. Um, But one thing that I touch on a lot in my reviews that I don't see... I read a ton of reviews from everyone, but uh, sometimes reviewers have a hard time just saying, it's not my kind of game, but it would be fine for you. Like, there are certain games, like um, Dead Estate, uh, indie kind of uh, roguelike that came out recently. It is difficult as all get out. It's a fucking hard game. Uh, yeah. And whenever I first started, I played through the first um, the first floor, and I was like, this is trash. I don't like this. Uh, this <laughs> is mechanically, I don't like it. And I continued playing it because I owe that to every developer that I review their games to put in time with it. And as I played it more and more, I, yeah. it clicked, and I went, oh, this just isn't for me. This isn't a game built for me. This is for the the people out there that are speed running these, the people that like that difficulty curve. You know, mechanically it's sound, visually it's impressive. Uh, it's just not my type of game, and that's fine. Like the same thing happened whenever Ted yeah. was like, "Hey, did you play that new Warhammer?" And uh, that's a whole other thing where I had to learn Warhammer lore, which no one should know any Warhammer lore by law. Like we should not be forced <laughs> know to know so anything about. Lore. We should not require be required to know anything about Warhammer, and I don't play RTSs and things like that. But I checked it out, and I enjoyed it. But it's not for me, and it's okay for uh, reviewers to admit that a game is not for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you can't win whatever you do. I mean, if you, even if you say that, it's a case you'll get people going. Well, why were you doing it anyway? That sort of thing. I remember again an issue I had with just picking up anything for review back in the day was that I occasionally come across um, very passionate fan bases for these niche games. Um, Farming Simulator, that, that you would not believe how nasty that fan base can get oh, yeah. if you don't like one of them. Really? I mean, yeah. But, yeah. Oh, but, so, sorry, Neil. I, I just, I, I had to get this clarification from Jans, but are you telling me that it's okay for you to have your own opinion about a game? Yeah, it's a it's a strange world we live in. Um, oh, you know, wow. like so. I'm going to say something controversial, and this is going to get the podcast taken off the air, and they're going to send someone to my house to shoot me. But I have played <laughs> Breath of the Wild, and it is a three out of five game. Ooh, that's a controversial opinion. Mm-hmm. I find it hard to argue because I feel I didn't finish it, so. <laughs> I, did most people actually finish it? Like, uh, my wife did, like, completely. 
uh, and I'm very close to finishing it. I still play it here and there. But if you take away the cultural cachet behind the Zelda series, it is a three out of five game. Uh, I think a lot of this is rose-colored glasses and brand loyalty for the Zelda series. Yeah, which a lot of Nintendo stuff does just sort of get. Yeah, I would say that is like most Nintendo stuff where like it varies with each title. Don't get me wrong, but like it seems like everybody, you know, loses it over each Mario game that comes out. Mm. But like when you play them, you're just kind of like, okay. like at least personally for me, I don't understand the hype, but people continuously like rage over various Nintendo titles. Yeah, I mean, they're good for the audience they're intended for, as we were just saying. It's like, they've got that right audience, and Mario Odyssey played through, perfectly enjoyable, much preferred Mario Sunshine. You know, it's just because that did something different, you know, whereas you know, Odyssey just felt like more the usual sort of stuff. I will say the big the big good thing about uh, Mario games in particular is that I do feel like they hold up over time. Like I think you can play Mario yeah. Sunshine today and have just as much fun as it did when it came out. Yeah. There's something there's something internal about the mechanics of Mario Sunshine or uh, Mario 64. Even I mean it's it's not obviously you give it to a kid and the kid is probably going to play Mario Odyssey. But I, I think that as you get older, it's like and, and that's very different than trying to go back and like have you ever tried to go back and play Fallout? Like the original? <laughs> no. Well, it's it, really it, fucking difficult. <laughs> it, it yeah. is not a game that's aged particularly well. And I know that some people are going to be like, no, it's just as good. It's not just as good as it was back then. It, it's really not. And I'm not trying to say that Fallout 4 is better than Fallout 1 and 2. But I will say is that it's going to be a hard sell outside of your indie little bubble to... Yeah. you know it's a hyper hyper gamer bubble to try to sell fallout to someone whereas if you go to a kid and you're like here's super mario sunshine they're probably going to be like yeah because kids don't kids aren't hipsters yet they haven't been corrupted by the internet you know is it i mean that obviously plays back into what i was saying about um back in the day when you have so much less choice how you, you can often attach such great value to something well beyond time because you know it was a thing you played over and over and over again like me with like the mega drive and sonic the hedgehog and getting streets of rage 2 for my birthday was like this the next big exciting game i ever got and so both those games are like all timers for me you know i played more hours of them than games that you know proclaim to have that much content that you can play forever and yeah so that's just the way of it it's it's a strange system of the things but we can and I'll say that uh, I think that video game criticism, uh, especially from people our ages, you know, 30s into the 40s, uh, I, I don't know if Zoomers have this same issue, but we're we're poisoned by the console wars. It They poisoned the water hole because uh, a lot of us, you know, unless we were spectacularly well off, we were raised with a Nintendo or like you had the Nintendo 64 or the PlayStation or before that you had a Sega or a Super Nintendo. And that's why I don't feel that same uh, attachment to Nintendo games because I had after my Super Nintendo with just Mortal Kombat, which is not a not a Nintendo IP for those that didn't know. Um, I had a Sony PlayStation all the way up until like 2005. So uh, I'm purely PlayStation. PlayStation, you know, outside of like what Crash Bandicoot didn't have 
it didn't have that same pull. Uh, so mm. I just don't feel that love for Nintendo that a lot of people seem to have. And so it doesn't color my expectations whenever I sit down to play a Nintendo IP. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, I have apologetic praise for pretty much every Sonic game because I grew up as a Sega fan. So. And only ended up not being able to continue that because they died as a console force. So I you know, jumped to PlayStation once that was the heartbreak was over. The Sega consoles were, were kind of a, you know, either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it feels like a really short period of my life now, looking back at how long I've mainly played PlayStation compared to that. But it was like, considering how few games I actually and played on that console, uh, that, those consoles. But yeah, just I remember the, the impending doom of the Dreamcast so vividly now, and just thinking, having already had got a Saturn and that just balking out and not being an option. And it's just like, yeah, it was, it was horrible to just get this continually worse sort of thing happen to this company that I was like, oh, I love all their stuff, I love all the things they do. It's like when in reality, it's like no, you've you've cursed and swore at Sonic Spinball and say and Sonic 3D because they were shit and nothing like the Sonic games you like. Uh, and Streets of Rage 3 was garbage and all that. And but yeah, you know, just nostalgia, isn't it? You just think, oh yeah, I loved all that stuff. It was great. And but uh, yeah, you, you, you well, have to. That nostalgia is especially prevalent in horror. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, this this has always been the fascinating thing. At bloody disgusting for me is that you know in terms of uh, horror media, it's very frustrating to for a general audience to sort of put out horror content in terms of games because there's not that many tentpoles you know compared to other mediums. You know, if you go to horror films, you know, right down to cult classics, there are things that are, will get infinitely more interest than like a third tier horror franchise in gaming right and it's nuts so you end up in this endless cycle where you're trying to not write about resident evil for the the 70th week running it but you know you know you're going to because there's going to be something about resident evil and that's what most people care about in terms of things and silent hill because you know and well and then there's the also the double whammy which is that the people that are like oh i like silent hill or resident evil or something like that those older games also like look Look disdainfully down upon like things like Five Nights at Freddy's or Slender yeah. or something like that, which is like what the newer, younger audience is interested in phasmophobia, things like that, you know? Yeah. I mean, I had this discussion on my podcast before where it was like we had, we were talking about Amnesia Rebirth, you know, how the original Amnesia had such an impact on how indie horror went in that decade after between that game and that game. And it's crazy, you know, that how little it was thought of when that rebirth came out you know it came out in that september that and spelunky 2 came out in september but because everyone was squealing and shouting about new consoles new consoles and stuff like that it, it just sort of got lost it's like sequels to two of the best indie games of the last decade and no one gives a shit it's weird <laughs> yeah i mean i think that the the it's interesting because you know there's always going to be that divide in horror specifically. And this isn't film as well. I mean, the people that are like, mm-hmm. oh, there's nothing good that's come out since Halloween. And you're like, really? Yeah. Nothing? Or, you know, but you're right. There's more tentpole franchises in film. I mean, if you want 
slashers even it's like you got your choice of freddie you got your choice of jason you got your choice of michael myers then there's you know Ghostface. you know there's all these different franchises that have done well to some extent or another even if you go into the smaller franchises like maniac cop you're gonna have you know big maniac yeah. cop stands or um victor crowley even yeah. yeah and exactly with hatchet you know it's like you got all these franchises that are their own kind of tentpole. But the funny thing is, is that like, you know, you go to a horror convention and half the convention's going to be bitching about the other half of the convention. Cause it's like, then you got your found footage heads that, you know, fuck it. Oh, I hate those people. Paranormal activity ruined, ruined the genre. And it's like, it seems to be going like, it seems like horror is doing okay. Or, you know, now there's kind of the a 24 more art house horror crowd with things like uh Midsummer or uh, uh, I guess in a certain way, you know, um, it follows was kind of more artsy than a lot of other horror. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's, oh, there's nothing good coming out in horror nowadays. It's all art house. I just want a good slasher. And, you know, there's always, and then, you know, it's, it's, it's funny to me because it's, even though it's, it's one quote genre, I mean, look at it this way, right? You have romantic comedies and all romantic comedies are the same fucking movie. And yeah. even with slight variation, it's going to be the same basic story. You know, guy falls That's in love cool. with the girl and then, you know, they can't be together and then they're going to find their way together at the end. But horror, even though it's all one genre quote, quote is so diverse in yeah. what you actually yeah. get from it and the actual tastes that people have. It's, it's it almost does it a disservice to just call it horror, you know? Yeah. And yeah. the biggest takeaway from that is that, many of those people that whinge about it, the ones that think that horror just means scary and because it doesn't scare them, that's it. And it doesn't count. So, but no, it's dread. It's unease. You know, it's the feeling at the back of your neck. It's hitting you with something real, you know, you didn't expect, you know, some of the best quote unquote horror films, the ones that aren't labeled as such, you know, in terms of they just do things that you go, Oh Christ. Oh God. I'm having an existential crisis. Even thinking about this, it's like, I think of like the, the animated film When the Wind Blows, where it's just two old people dodding around around an apocalypse and like they're, they're just not following all the things that you know you shouldn't be doing in a nuclear apocalypse and you know it's going to kill them and it's just, oh, horrible. And yeah. It's, uh, so, I mean, what what does The Road have in common with paranormal activity? But yeah. I would consider The Road to be a far more disturbing and ter- terrifying film than paranormal activity. Yeah. And I- I love paranormal activity. Yeah, and even like in the case of the book, uh, it's just it's just so affecting. So <laughs> it's just horrid to, to a slog to get through, uh, but it's brilliant in that regard. You know, it does it does horror in its own way, and that's the thing that gets forgotten. It, there are so many ways to do horror. It's not just about spooky scares, you know, like that. And then of course that's the complaint that oh, we're doing jump scares. That's the laziest form of horror, and it's like, but. That's what they want. They want to be scared. So, so yeah. make, make your mind up. Do you? What is it about horror that you want? Do you want to be five years old again and accidentally watching Ghoulies or something? That, that's mm-hmm. it. <laughs> well, and that's what scares a lot of developers away from horror is that like a lot of people get into horror because it's like a kind of the easiest place in the genre to have free expression with limited gameplay mechanics, right? Yeah. Like because it's hard to make a shooter. You know, you can't make a walking simulator shooter, but you can make a walking simulator horror game for sure. And um, the, the the number one thing I see when people are negatively reviewing our games, they're like, not scary, zero out of 10. And I'm like, really? Like, cause a lot of people thought this was the scariest shit, you know, like, and so you're, you, but that's the thing is that you, you, in no other genre do you have that 
aura of machismo that goes into like building up the personality of I like this game, but I wasn't scared. And it's like, it's a flex, right? Like yeah. no one's going to like go review a romantic comedy and they're going to be like, didn't cry. Didn't feel emotions. Zero out of 10. You know what I mean? That's it. Yeah. It's a sports movie. It's like, ah, oh, yeah. Didn't care when the team came back from adversity and won. You know, it's like, it yeah. Was just... mm-hmm. yeah. But... Zero out of 10. Didn't inspire me to do touchdowns. Like, okay. Yeah, it's it's an odd one, but it's again, it's just this idea then of what horror should be is always going to be a problem for some people that can't do anything about it. You know, it's the it's the same in any walk of anything, isn't it? You get people that have a really horrible misunderstanding of the thing they love, and therefore think that everyone else is just nuts. Yeah, gaming in general is like that, so it, it's no surprise that horror okay. gaming has that. Yeah, I mean, I think that, um, you know, we, the, 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 the important thing to remember is, as a developer is that, like, you know, the horror audience is very fragmented and that, you know, you got to figure out which part of that horror audience your product appeals to when trying to market to that, towards that. And that's something we've had to learn through the various different collections of, like, okay, what is this one appealing to? What is this one appealing to? And then trying to, like, hone in that message. Because, like, like I said, you know, it's not like you're appealing to teens or it's not like you know, the, the demographic is not as broad as you think for horror fans no that's it that's why you get a lot of stuff dressed up as something else when they use horror. it's why you get this you know terms that make you shudder like you know elevated horror because it's it's there for them trying to people trying to push horror into places they don't normally go that people will sort of consume it you know it's like hiding the medicine and the sweets sort of thing mm-hmm so, we're coming up on the end of our hour, and I want to know, where can people find you on the internet, Neil? Oh, they can find me on that Twitter place, uh, at Nezko, which is N-E-Z-Z-K-O. I also do a horror game podcast, funny enough, myself, which uh, Jay Krieger, called Safe Room Podcast, where we just pick a game and pick into it each week. So, we just did... Uh, Manhunt this week because it turned 18 mm-hmm. and yeah, that's one of those games where it hasn't aged particularly well in so many ways and nostalgia certainly clouds a bit of it but it's got a lot of qualities to it still I think but yeah that's, uh, they're the two best places to get more of me on the internet if that is something you should so wish and I, I do we normally have people be like hey shout out your stuff but also because you are a, a journalist are there any games that you've liked recently that you believe should get more attention you'd like to shout out I mean, today alone, of course, in Scription, uh, I obviously had the career Danny Mons on here recently, and yeah, that game is just mm, brilliant. Uh, that's definitely going to be up there for one of the games of the year. Let's oh, yeah. About that. Um, also quite enjoyed In Sound Mind recently, uh, in terms of just doing that sort of trippy sort of walking similar style horror in a different way. I think it's sort of the way it breaks things up into stages and does something different in each stage is really interesting. And the soundtrack is really good. I must say for that one. Uh, yeah, Dan- think- Daniel worked with us on the second Dread X collection. The dude's a fucking legend. Yeah. Yes, that's it. I was just thinking that. That's it. Yeah, that's right. Um, one more thing. Sorry, I've got like a list upon a list of things there. I'm though technically not horror in a sense, Chivalry 2 is like the best Monty Python style violence. A battlefield game set in medieval times you could ever want. It's like you can 
throw anything at anyone, including severed limbs, um, beer, beer tankards, and just bread, you know, and it's like that. And it's funny, and you can fight on when your arms being cut off, and you can headbutt people to death. So it's just the funniest, goriest game in, in terms of multiplayer I've played all year. All right, that sounds dope. Uh, Ted, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, just at DreadXP underscore. I'm also at DreadHenchKey, but no one no one cares about that. Just follow the company. <laughs> I, I, like, never tweet, so, like, I only use it to, like, text other industry peoples. So. And, Abby, where can we find you on the internet? Um, I am on Twitter at ScrunchOG. I'm also on Instagram uh, uh, at ScrunchOSpeakeasy. And, uh, probably a million other places that i'm not thinking of but yeah and you can find me on twitter at horror played or at dreadxp underscore dreadxp is also on instagram uh dreadxp games or on tiktok dreadxp games on facebook dreadxp um are there any other socials we're on ted i'm trying to think oh there's like tiktok instagram there's facebook um yeah. <laughs> There's our website. Uh, yeah. Join our Steam group. We're trying to do more stuff on Steam. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, and speaking speaking of Steam, uh, we we got our uh, new publisher bundle up. So you can buy all of the Dread XP games for 26% off. It's a complete the set bundle. So if you already own some, that those aren't going to be added into the price. And the cool thing about it is that if you already own all of our games, all of our future releases are going to be part of that bundle. So it's like you're always going to be getting 26% off of our future releases if you own all our games. That's something for the fans. So, you know, with launch discount, you're going to be getting our games for like half off in the future. So I would definitely recommend that people go pick up the publisher bundle if they're looking to get our stuff in the future. I got to get going because I got work to do. So, uh, Neil, thank you so much for coming yeah, on, man. Thank you. Thank let, you us know if, let us know if you ever want to play Back for Blood or something. We usually have uh, game nights on Sunday, so you should you should come sometime. Yeah, I'll definitely try and come to one of those some point. We played Crab Game the last time, and it was fucking awesome. Very nuts. Yeah, Crab, very fun. Crab Game is my, my suggestion for the week. My pick for this week is Crab Game or Inscription. I love Inscription. It's my game of the year, easily. My suggestion yeah. is Spookware. Because uh, we made that, and people should buy it. <laughs> It's up there. You see it, that's for sure. I loved it. Anyways. Thanks for coming uh, on, Neil. Uh, and I'll sign off and let y'all continue your days. Thanks for being on. Bye. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye. Bye.